You're listening to the January 20th edition of Wow Ergonomics with Graham Cove and Stephen Howe. Hello, everybody. It's Graham Cove with Wow Ergonomics. It's midday on a very wet Wednesday. We had Blue Monday this week, and I call, I'm calling this Wet Wednesday, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm jo- joined by Steve Howe again. Hi, Steve. Hello, Graham. I can confirm yeah. it is wet in the Midlands as well. So it is, uh, it's wet everywhere in the UK, I think, today, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. I think wet Wednesday is a very good uh, yeah. term for it. But yeah, certainly down here, my dustbins have just blown over. That's that's how wet yeah. and windy it is down here. It's particularly nasty. But I did go for a walk in it. Um, have you been out? Yeah. Well, as you know, I've I've been challenged to to walk every day of january okay and and so far i've done it um uh, but today wasn't the most pleasant of days to do (laughs) are you uh, measuring your sort of uh cumulative distance with some sort of app graham or how how you're tracking it or yeah so i have i have one of those lovely apps on my phone um which supposedly tells you exactly uh, everything not not just how far you've gone but whether you've gone up steeper gradients and things as well how it knows these things i don't know it's that the strava app oh i'm um, using that as well we'll have to um we'll have to connect on that yeah oh can you can you do the connectivity yes, thing can you? oh you can. okay i don't think we'll so, do it live graham i think we'll do that after after one o'clock it might be a little bit boring for the uh for listeners <laughs> and viewers if we sit there connecting to each other on various social media platforms but maybe not maybe they will be interested yeah it may be um, but you know what's nice about it is that you can see that I go around in circles mainly, okay. um, and it shows you obviously shows you the route that I've done. But yeah, it's yeah I've got a cumulative uh, score which I'm putting on the website as well. So if people want to see that, they can go to uh, the website. Up there or up it's, there or it's not like no this. no it's down it's down the bottom. Ah, um, okay, there we go. Pointing at the heavens, but it's down the bottom there. Yes. Uh, www.abetterwayoflife.co.uk for people who are listening and not actually watching this. So, um, but yeah, there's a page on there called Challenge, um, and I'm keeping people up to date with how far I've gone. I've I've, I've gone over thirty k um, throughout January so far, which is you know. 30k more than sometimes I would have done in a month. <laughs> and will you be continuing this beyond January? Well, now that's that's the interesting question, isn't it? I I think I probably will, probably not every day. Um, and if there's days like today, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I give may, it a swerve. I may give it a swerve. I may do, although I may or I may just go out for sort of you know five minutes and and just do do something but mm. i certainly will be doing it more regularly than i did before um because it Excellent. does it does help mm. absolutely so we've got uh, several conversations that we're going to talk about today uh, we may or may not get joined by guests we don't know i mean you know i've put the feelers out there and i've said to people if they'd like to they can if they don't then they won't but As we, we certainly Neve joined us last week, didn't she? Neve did join us last week, and that, that was that was very interesting. But what I will say is, if anybody's watching this live now and wants to put up a question for us, whilst we do have topics that we will be discussing in the the, the general realms of health and well-being and ergonomics, 
do by all means throw something up for us to answer i you know i know in particular at the moment there's a lot of parents going through the whole as we talked about earlier this morning mm. the whole homeschooling uh piece at yeah. the same time as as working from home and I, it may be that there are parents wanting a little bit of advice in terms of how to um homeschool or or at least how to <laughs> keep their <laughs> keep Surviving. their children healthy yeah. yeah how to survive it um but i did put up a a photo the other day of one of my son's um, homeschooling with some kit, um, you know, and it's important that you do set your children up properly if they're in it for the long run at home. Don't just let them slouch everywhere and, and you know, or work lying on their bed with laptops and et cetera. Because interestingly enough, he uh, got to the end of the first day and and was very naughty and didn't listen to daddy uh and okay. was sat there with his knees up and sort of lounging back and then sat there the whole of the evening saying well i've got a really bad neck ache and i said well there you go that's that's what ha happens when you don't sit properly or listen to your dad mm, or listen to your dad so now you know he's taking advice and he's he's using the cushions and he's sitting up properly and he's you know he's he's getting up and moving as well which is good he's got yeah. a, he's got a uh, a wireless keyboard which allows him to to move a bit but yeah you've got to think about it for your children folks it's important because um yeah i remember otherwise... graham about nine ten months ago I, I took a photo of my son who was using the um correct obviously backer elkhausen kit as you would expect um just to, just to throw it out there on uh, on linkedin and I had some great feedback but then someone came on pointing out the keyboard wasn't the right distance from the end of, edge of the dining room table and i thought we're trying to encourage children to adopt the correct posture and then you always get someone who comes and sort of picks holes in it and it's sort of uh little bit frustrating i guess in the in the times we're going on now i don't think we sort of see that but it was a bit like well you know we're trying to encourage good good habits um they're not going to happen overnight but uh yeah it was good to see a positive reaction and and, and it absolutely i mean you know in our household we've got um I, i'm working in the uh in the loft uh, i have yeah. one son on the in his bedroom on the floor below homeschooling and then my wife is uh shall we say attempting to uh homeschool <laughs> son number two on the uh in the kitchen and uh hence why i tend to work up here and shut the door and put the headphones on and try and block the cries of pain out whether they are from mother or son i'm not entirely sure so uh yeah, yeah well there's uh, there's some great products out there there yeah. are some absolutely great products out there and you know if if people are one of the things that i did in one of my little live sessions the other morning i don't know whether you saw it was um i showed one of your products which yes yeah, which which can actually raise the, the height of a, a tablet mm. because I don't think a lot of people understand that, you know, it's not just about laptops, you know, uh, especially with the children homeschooling. A lot of them will be doing stuff on iPads and, yes. and things like that. So, you know, making sure that if they're on an iPad for the majority of the day, they're, they're not just hunched over and neck down onto an iPad. That's That's important. So if you can raise it up, put a separate keyboard with it you know and or, or and even things away from a computer if if your child is doing drawing for example for long mm. periods of time or painting or or you know working with numbers or whatever get a board that's magnetic 
you know get something that's raised up a little bit more get get an easel you know yeah that they can work from so that they can stand and work they can they can move around children at school move around quite yeah. a lot um and they you know you see at school they've got things like easels and other things to to encourage them to move a little bit mm. uh, and to work in different postures well you know don't, don't just sit them at the dining room yeah. table all day long that's Which, Graham, is what we talk about for the rest of the year when they are at school, is we talk around people working from home. Um, we talk around the deficiencies of a dining room table and chair. Now, remind me on this. I always get it the one way around. The table's too high, the seat's too low, generally, on a yeah, dining you, you room table. You didn't get that That was right. Yeah, no, that's right. Excellent. Generally, generally yeah. dining room tables are made to sit you up to eat. Yes. Um, and therefore, um, and actually, they're not designed to be overly comfortable because mm. you know generally you don't sit at a dining room table for very long do you i mean um in fact in the modern house how many people actually use their dining room table for eating i'm sorry yeah. about the dog in the background by the way he's he's obviously overly excited by the whole trooper. is that a trooper i presume graham that's that's trooper being excited about ergonomics because it's his favorite subject yeah um but yeah no people generally don't don't use dining room tables very much um but yeah they, they typically the seat's quite low and the, and mm. the surface is quite high and you'll find that the elbow is below uh below the sort of wrist height so yes. it can, can cause quite a lot of issues uh if you're typing away at a dining room table unless you make some adjustments and mm. and it can be as simple as as some cushions etc you know it's not about necessarily spending huge amounts of money um but yeah, where you can actually buy some proper kit because it will last you. And uh, and that takes us nicely onto our first subject today, which is solutions, different types of solutions and ergonomic mm. solutions that are out there. There's there's, you know, there's so many. Um, yeah. And I think that's part and parcel of the problem for for a lot of people when it comes to um anything that fits into that kind of ergonomic umbrella. And as I as I keep being at pains to tell people there's no such thing as an ergonomic product yeah. <laughs> yes stop going on about it being ergonomic because it's yeah. not um but these products that are out there that are designed to help in terms of working or study environments mm. uh there's a lot of them um but one of the questions would be price versus cost mm. um where, where do we start on that? And how do we start to determine what, you know, what's the right thing to do? I yeah. mean, I, I know that people haven't necessarily always got a lot of money and therefore that that might determine, you know, what they can spend their money on. But what what from your experience over the years? And I know prior to your role there, you, you worked in sort of the office products um, industry as well yeah. what's your in your experience what are the benefits of spending that little bit more what what do you get for your money i think for me um graham it's, it's probably things around adjustability i mean as you say there are some very very good products out there and i think the the overall i think we maybe touched on that this last week but we spoke around around the impact of covid and, and things like that and, and i think what's really stuck out for me is is there's a whole new buying community of the products that are in our sector. So organizations who've never ever had anything to do with home working, having to homework, 
individuals within procurement teams, potentially, or facilities departments who have then got to go in and look at this product and find the best product. And I think we, again, I think we touched on it last week, but but certain organisations, not a lot in the UK, I've found, but again, stories I've heard from, from colleagues in the US and Europe where businesses have given their money in their pay packet or allowed them to expense up to a certain range and putting that emphasis on those individuals. And I think the difficulty then comes when you start talking around that, when you start talking about people who've never got had the experience to buy these products, you then start looking at what it actually, what's the invoice cost of the product versus the, the, the price. So we get, again, people are looking at and going, I can get a whatever it would be, let's say a vertical mouse or whatever it would be. It could be any of those products. And I can see something that's £15. I can see something that's £35. I can see something that's 70 that's 100 And I think the natural reaction is, is to get drawn to the lowest cost of a product. What's the cost going to be on the invoice? But I think the, the really the thing people need to look at, and, you know, we we absolutely do some great products, but there's lots of good products out there. You know, we do a number of events, Graham, with them. Um, I think we've gone one next week, which you'll advertise, but, you know, the, the likes of uh, Contour, um, uh, you know, of Mousetrapper, who I know you work with as well. They do some great product. It's trying to get people to look at functionality. Don't just look what it's going to cost. Will that product work for you? Is it adjustable? You know, throughout the working day, you will want to work in potentially different postures. So a a product that can only work in one position is going to be fine for part of the day, but not for the whole of the day. So I think for me, it's getting people to look beyond what it costs and look at the functionality and adjustability. And that's the really key thing. And and again, you know, we've got a homeworking situation at the moment and we've, you know, I've talked about it to various people and, and we've discussed it is this sort of hybrid situation that we will get when people go back to the office at some point, whether it's later on in the summer, but, but product that can be transportable that people can find a good setup at home they can take it with them and it can then be set up in the office to replicate that and they've got that consistency of that 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 setup that works well and is adjustable wherever they are working so for me there's a there's a whole um, a whole range of issues but I think ultimately it's don't just look at what's the cheapest look at what's best and look at what is adjustable and can work around you throughout your your working day whether whether that's at home office stopping at the motorway services to catch up on emails whatever that would be yeah I mean one of the things I'm going to say here is about especially around seating I think because um, it's it's probably the the one area where over the years people have asked the question time and time again, why is that chair so expensive <laughs> when that chair isn't? Um, you know, what, what's the, well, how on earth can a, a, an office chair be so expensive? Um, and the answer to that is that the people that make them are making huge amounts of money. No, that's not the answer. <laughs> the answer is, the answer is, um, that actually there's a lot of different processes that are involved in getting that chair to market, which are quite expensive. Mm. Chairs that are typically uh, lumped together uh, rather than sort of designed well and then created um, using sort of 
general mechanisms or and, and in some cases fairly cheap mechanisms that are just available on the market um don't have a lot of functionality as you say and a lot mm. of what i always term sort of dynamic adjustment in them they don't actually flow particularly well with the movement of the body and in latter years good seating manufacturers especially for good uh, postural support chairs within the office have spent inordinate amounts of money on research and development into yeah. unique mechanisms and I, I saw somebody do a, a, a good video during the week actually on linkedin about the different types of mechanism there were on certain chairs and just explaining it to users again and and i i was really grateful that they they'd done that are we going to give that gentleman a shout out it was pasquale wasn't it it was pasquale yeah yeah i could yeah i'll I'll give him a shout hi pasquale yeah but you saw that you saw that (laughs) yeah yeah you saw that video but i mean that that to me is really useful because i don't think people really understand they what they look at when they look at a chair is they look at what fabric it's in how squishy it looks yeah. or, or how funky the design is, but they don't really understand this mechanism bit, mm. but the mechanism is nine tenths of the law when it comes to a chair, how that chair f- functions and moves is fundamentally what it's about. Um, and you can actually replicate that across different products as well. And we'll, I'll come back to that in a minute, but with chairs, you know, there's this R&D process that's that, that's heavy in terms of actually developing those chairs. I know when I went out to um, Hamlin to uh, to see the Vilcon factory out there, and I went out to see how they developed and made the what was called the Go chair at the time. You know, I learned about the things like the fact that they developed a completely new type of fiber mm. glass uh, uh material as part of the back of that and up until that point there was only um sort of cross strand fiberglass and they 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 developed i think it was even in association with nasa some uh lateral strand fiber fiberglass which had much more uh flexibility in it and twistability in it so that it actually didn't you know come under pressure when the, the movement from the hips in this chair made the whole chair twist you know when you start to actually understand stuff like that then you realize this that's why these things are expensive but if you want to achieve those kinds of dynamic support those kinds of movement whilst you're sat for example then you're going to have to spend a bit of money because it's going to go through that process and also a lot of those chairs go through um, quite rigorous testing uh, as yeah. well a, a lot of furniture for example goes in this country goes through fire which is based at stevenage which does uh testing on furniture in terms of its durability uh in terms of you know uh, things like fabrics in terms of rub testing and and uh and crib testing for flammability you know and what you get at the other end of it is you get you know a chair or a product with a, a long guarantee it's made to be durable. It's made to be adjusted every single day. It's made to have movement in it. That's what you're getting for your money, which you won't necessarily get if you if you 
plump for the the cheaper products at the other end um and that the cost of going through those processes has to be lumped onto the overall cost of the of the products at the other end yeah and i mean you jokingly said about people making lots of money i mean you know ultimately i in in the in the sector that we're talking about the products that are towards the higher end of the scale tend to be exactly what you've said products that have had a lot of research done a lot of testing done and ultimately to to deliver that fantastic quality product there is a cost associated with it you know ultimately if you want to to pay for a product that's that's lower in price absolutely you know you can but will it deliver on all of the things you're looking for? Probably not. Well, it'll deliver on the cost of it, but it won't, it, it, you know, it, it's not going to deliver on what you're actually looking for. So as you say, a, a good proportion of the cost for those products, and it's not just actually in our area, Graham, thinking about it, when you start going into other areas such as, you know, probably other electric goods, uh, maybe cars, things like that, you know, yes, there'll be an element of of profit that companies will be looking to make, but that, that R&D and the testing and the, you know, has to come from somewhere, and that investment ultimately has to be paid for to deliver that fantastic product. Yeah, it's funny. I, I've I've always found it funny that people, and I've talked about this before with you, but I really find it funny that that people accept that in in certain industries, such as the automobile industry. You know, you you wouldn't go out tomorrow and look at a Reliant Robin <laughs> next to a a brand new BMW or a brand new Audi and go, mm. hey, they're both cars. You know. Well, yeah, you know, at base level, they are. They're both absolutely, cars, yeah, right, yeah, and you know, they they both go on the road and they both get you from A to B, but it actually, quite clearly, <laughs> one in terms of comfort and functionality and experience and everything else has a has a great deal more to offer than the other one, and that's why I always drive a Reliant Robin. <laughs> <laughs> but Graham, they often say, you know, if it, if it is too good to be true it often is too good to be true and i think that does come with a lot of things you know as you say you know yes we're always we're always looking out for a bargain you're always looking to get best value absolutely but you know the you know you can get best value and still get a get a very very good product at a, at a, at a good price but generally if if a product has a you know does appear to be to have a premium on it there is a reason why and you ultimately will get the benefit from that absolutely We've got a question. If employers are equipping offices and paying for people to work from home and money towards kitting home offices, there's going to have to be some compromise, surely. Hmm. That's an interesting question. I mean, I think ultimately what will happen medium to long term, unless unless organisations are very fortunate with leasing agreements, I think ultimately what you'll find is there'll be a cutback on real estate um and i guess the the trade off is that there won't be as many you know there won't be as many um square feet of offices going forward for organizations and that money will be invested into the things that simon was talking about that i mean i, I mean ultimately there are organizations who are investing as well as having the cost of offices but at some point that there will be that flip where an, a, an office lease comes to an end and, and an organizing organization goes actually you know we don't need that anymore we'll invest but that's not the case with everyone you've got you've got different organizations doing different things i am convinced that the this i think we touched on it last week again graham that this this home working investment piece is not just something that's going to go on whilst we are all home working it will carry on and different organizations will have different circumstances as to when they take 
the you know the, they put their the toe in the water and when they invest may depend for some businesses on when they are able to relieve certain costs which could be around property rent etc etc yeah well and and this whole subject fits into the other subject that we were talking about just before we came on air which is that uh where which are you know there's quite a healthy life debate going on on linkedin at the moment which is about the whole future of the office because you know Yes, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, th there's a good opportunity here for ergonomics and sort of better ergonomics in terms of the home working space, because in offices, offices have partly been led by design as well. The aesthetic, mm -hmm. the overall look, uh, the A&D community has been told, you know, that everybody needs to look the same. But once you get people working from home, and if more people start working from home, and that's the that's the way that the dynamic will shift, then actually you you can come back into a space where you can actually provide people with what's relevant to them without it having such a political impact in terms of that that office culture. You know, it's not it's no longer necessarily the same issue for companies to go, well, I can't buy you that chair because Joe over there is going to see you've got that chair and then that's yeah. going to start this issue. You know, you can actually get back to what does each individual person really need? And it, you know, making those decisions correctly for each of those individual spaces. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really the, where the office goes in the future is going to have more an impact on sort of overall cultural change and, social economic change really mm. it's it's really what happens if we take those office spaces out of city centers what happens if people don't travel anymore to office spaces what happens if you know the supporting industries around those offices you know shops restaurants etc mm. don't have their customer base anymore what's the impact of that you know do we do we end up with uh, a um, do end up with a society that has much more of a distinction between sort of where we work and where we play. And, and maybe, you know, it will take some time and, and, and unfortunately I expect there will be some casualties along the way. Yeah. Several before that filters out and actually we end up with, you know, maybe some uh, city center spaces, which are much more about, uh, sort of play and uh, you know collaborative culture and 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 getting together in in groups where it's relevant. But the the home office, the working piece, the day to day grind will will move home. It's an interesting and and vibrant subject at the moment, which we will continue to talk about yeah. until until we see it unravel and yeah. level in front of our and, eyes and i think we're not there yet it's this 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 is still playing out people are still you know i mean everyone was you know we've all en enjo enjoyed to appoint the homeworking and the benefits of the fact that you know you are able to have more free time either end of the day because of the commute however how many people have now come to the point and you know you see it a lot on on social media or on the news outlets or whatever people we speak to but you know people now have realized they don't like the full home time working as it were so i think we will naturally end up at that balance what it will look like will will vary 
business by business, person by person. But I think I think you know we 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 don't want the full time office. But equally, I don't think many people in reality now want the full time home. They want something uh, probably in the middle of all of that. Don't they? Maybe a three and two, two and three split, whatever would would work best for them. The next subject that we were talking about comes neatly out of that, um, and is probably really affected by this cultural shift that's going on at the moment, which is trends in ergonomics. You know, there's always been a trend. Um, I talked about it in one article that I wrote on LinkedIn about uh, the, the the trend that was there for a long time around big radial desks. Mm. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. We, had, we, we, had a, we had a period where everyone had to have their big corner desk and these items became known as ergonomic desks <laughs> because I used to go to see clients. You might have done when you were in the office, Paul, etc. I, I want an ergonomic desk, please. And yeah. you knew what they meant by that. They yeah, wanted yeah. this big curved desk. And it, ridiculously, what made it ergonomic? And, of course, that came out of uh, a period of time where monitors were still crt monitors and they yeah. were getting larger and larger and ultimately if you put one in front of you on a on a fairly shallow piece of desking mm. um you, you, you the monitor was touching your nose and so suddenly developing office spaces with this curve in the corner and you suddenly had sort of 1.2 meters worth of play as opposed to 800 depth you could put push this big monitor back in the corner yes and then the keyboard and mouse could fit in front of it so it had an ergonomic solution to it as it were because it's it, it allowed you to actually work um but it uh you know that label stuck and you know of late uh and we've still seen it throughout this kind of homeworking period I, there, there have been trends mm. um and i one of them you know that i've seen coming up in posts throughout the sort of uh, the last eight months or so has been the, the sit stand thing, which has always been there. Yes, being knocked around as a as a as a subject within ergonomics for the last I don't know how many years, but it's suddenly risen uh, out of the grave to to a new, to new heights as people realise that you know maybe if they're spending a lot of time at home working, um, they could actually get a sit stand desk, mm. but with any trend, if there isn't use of those items, then the investment is a waste of money. Um, it, it, do, do you think this will now shift? Because certainly up until now, I've seen a lot, as, as people have been working in offices generally, I've seen a lot of wasted ergonomic kit over the years. In fact, sometimes I've seen sort of like, uh, a coals of ergonomic kit where companies have gathered it all back in again and then tried to redistribute distribute it because people have been overwhelmed with it um, and then it just doesn't get used. So mm. do you think we might now start to see a shift? I think so. I think I think everything that's gone on with this huge sort of COVID social experiment has sort of really focus people's minds on sort of looking after themselves and how they work and how they feel um and i think that will make sure that happens i mean ultimately the whole the whole sort of ethos around sort of sit stand desk is 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 all around movement is it's a, it's a vehicle to deliver movement throughout the working day now 
ultimately, I think the big challenge with sits stand from a home perspective generally is around space. You know, depending on where you live, do you have space for a sit-stand desk? Um, do you have space for a riser that would go on top of a desk or a dining room table? It, does it get a bit invasive for you in the home in terms of, you know, maybe a some sort of tablet or laptop kit is something that's quite, um, you know, collapsible, it can be put away in the corner where what do you do with this big desk? What do you do with the riser? So I think, it, you know, that's that's obviously one of the challenges is is it, it's trying to deliver what we want it to deliver, which is movement. But it's it's how does it deliver that? So I think it's making sure that when people think about movement, um, particularly around the sit stand piece, they understand what is that piece of equipment going to work? Does it fit? with my working environment. Um, I mean, there's been studies done, and I think we've done studies ourselves that, you know, once you get to the three month mark, um, people stop using, you know, some of the sit stand desks that being invested in. And, you know, these are, you know, expensive pieces of kit. And, you know, whilst it's seen as a, a, a great idea to start with, how do you ensure that people use it long term? You know, as I say, usage is known to drop off by a third after three months on some sit-stand desks. So that's where you mentioned the real waste is is actually there's been an investment, but it's not being used. I do think, though, Graham, that as I say, people are a lot more conscious about their their health and well-being. Um, it's almost been sort of pushed on them, and I think there will naturally be a a desire or an an, an uptake of people using their kit more often than they've maybe done in the past rather than seeing it as a as a box ticking exercise by their business actually it's a real investment in their health and well-being so i think there will be however that doesn't mean the 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 message stops and we need to keep talking about it and making sure people are doing it like you said about habits with your walk you know if people suddenly stop doing it uh, you know it 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 turns into a bad habit so the, the good habit is to use it all the time not to let people drop out of that routine and good habit and turn into bad habits because as you know bad habits are are how lots of the issues that we see and hear about uh, in our industry are created by bad habits not moving um, not setting themselves up correctly you know it it's 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 a constant piece but i do think there will be a lot more uptake and desire from people to to work and use the equipment they've been provided with well i think the the best thing out of this whole pandemic and homeworking scenario is that when we first met for the first time yes which was in that service station and we had the conversation lost the services wasn't it Glossed Glossed that nice sort of environmentally friendly eco services yeah yeah absolutely big shout out to gloucester services who are probably having a hard time of it at the moment yeah. um but if um when we met you know, we, we looked around and there was loads of people in that service station with laptops or, or tablets. Or, but you were the only person there that had their kit out and was actually using any kind of ergonomic yeah. uh, setup in order to, to, you know, be working more safely. And, and Graham as well, just to mention, obviously, a number of those, we sat there for probably an hour, an hour and a half going through a few things. But, you know, a lot of those people didn't move it was the same people there when we started our conversation to when we finished our conversation and again if you start getting into things like hse regulations around 
you know, if, if you're using, and we're going specifically on a laptop, but if you're using a laptop, it shouldn't be for generally more than one hour in its traditional keyboard and screen setup. So you then start thinking, actually, hang on a second, you know, it's uh, people w had the opportunity to do that, but for whatever reason, whether at that time they didn't have the kit or they'd got into the bad habit of, I'll just take the laptop with me. We, we saw that firsthand, didn't we? We did. And, and that was generally what happened everywhere <laughs> wherever you go there will be people using uh dse equipment display screen equipment without any kind of adjustment to it mm. but i think the home working piece will change that because i think when as soon as you as you're right you're as soon as you start doing something in your home you suddenly think about your own comfort first and foremost and you're not quite so scared about mm. doing something that is different or being challenged a little bit in terms of your setup because yeah. nobody's watching anymore. You know, as you say, this isn't a managerial piece anymore. Um, it's about making sure you're com comfortable in your own little den, if you like. Um, and so I think, you know, people have been investing and I think people will continue to, to want to invest in, making themselves comfortable there and hopefully if the habits form and we can get the message over as well then they will actually be quite comfortable about taking that outside as well yeah because once you once you feel the benefit of something and you understand the benefit of something and you you get into that habit then it, it becomes second nature and you, you start using that wherever you go and you start thinking, right, I've got to take my laptop riser and I've got yeah. to take my keyboard, whatever with me. Um, and maybe, and maybe we start to challenge, you know, the spaces going back to the previous conversation, maybe we start to challenge the spaces that we go into as well. Are yeah. they, are they comfortable enough for me to sit here for an hour? You know, what, why are you giving me chairs that, lean me right back in here to work from when actually I, I you know I might need to be able to choose a space if I'm sitting here with a laptop where I get a little bit more back support please thank you so I do think that that hopefully will change but again it's all to do with uh education once again as well uh, um you know and certainly with the, the the sit stand piece for example um I'm always very conscious whenever someone talks about sit stand and whenever i see a post about sit stand uh, and someone's bought a new sit stand desk on on any kind of social media i just want i just always want to launch in there and go yes that's brilliant but have you now got a routine in place yeah because if you haven't and you don't actually understand what this is about mm. and you've brought this product because you now think the the antidote to sitting is standing You've completely missed the point. <laughs> I spoke to someone this morning, Graham, and they were we were talking about the, the solutions that, that we as a business provide, and they they told me how they stand all day at a sit stand desk. Right, which, which is not great. Which, which is it's almost there's there's two ends of the scale. You've got sitting and standing, and the reality is somewhere ish in the middle is probably the right combination. But again you then think from an education piece and this is maybe how for, from our sector we need to get the message out there again to people who are are new to our sort of solutions as an industry is you know, standing all day is as bad as sitting all day you know we, you need to understand it's that balance isn't it you need again and it goes back to investment we took we spoke about there about someone's company's invested in some kit 
but it's it's and great it's being used but it's not being used correctly yep I, and it, it goes across every type of field and every type of product as well. I, I used to do a lot of car uh, assessments as well, driver assessments in cars. And, you know, people were always looking for the better car with a better seat and more comfortable seat, <laughs> you know. But one of the things that I would talk to them about is I'd say, well, so how many miles are you doing? I'm doing 60, 70, 80,000 miles a year. In, in my company car and when you drive somewhere how often do you stop and get out yeah. that car oh well um no if, if i'm getting going I, I don't like to stop so i'll i'll do i'll do four hours without you know without stopping yeah so and then you say well hang on a minute have you considered <laughs> you know just leaving that little bit earlier mm. and breaking up your journey and midway through sort of having a half an hour break where you just walk around a bit and <laughs> take on some fluid. No, I want a more expensive car. Yeah, but it's not going to help you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's the same. So it's the same with more kit. More kit's great. But if you don't actually think about how your day flows and how you're using it and how you're breaking up your day, it's it becomes irrelevant. So, yeah, I've got a sit-stand desk. Now I can stand all day. But, you know? but Graham, it takes it a little bit back to what we started with the price versus cost conversation when we spoke about that, that where organisations are putting it in the hands of the user, the end users to go and select their equipment. You know, it comes it comes back to choosing the right equipment and using it correctly. Um, that That's really, really important, isn't it? You know, like we said, you know, it's you've got to choose the right thing, but you've got to use it correctly because actually a poorly used piece of equipment is just going to compound the problems or it creates different problems doesn't it instead oh absolutely it's it's no better to have a, a a good piece of equipment but then not make those adjustments or not not use it correctly you know you might as well um you know and i used to say that to uh um people in offices sorry to sorry to say this to to one particular company who are called orange box but i used to actually say to people who were sat on orange box chairs which are fabulous by the way and and full of adjustability but i said you might as well be sat on a box of oranges <laughs> yeah. if you don't adjust that chair yeah yeah the the fact the fact that it's called an orange box um, I don't really know why it's called orange box. Maybe someone will tell me one day. But actually, their chairs were great and they were full of adjustment. But actually, yeah. you know, it needed adjusting. You know, if you got a good chair with lots of adjustment in it, but you sit on it all day long and never move, you might as well be sat on the crate. Mm. It's as simple as that. So, impacts of Brexit. Have we what? what What's the, where are we going with this topic? I don't know. I think we were just uh, we were we were we were looking to make sure we were quite a broad church today, weren't we, Graham? And just cover lots and lots of lots and lots of different topics. I don't know. I mean, there's there's talk about sort of gaps in supermarket shelves and things like that. I don't, you know, I've just uh, you know having wandered up occasionally to the local sort of um, mini Tesco's and mini Sainsbury's or whatever they brand themselves as local or whatever, but but noticed in certain parts just just gaps appearing that never seemed to get filled so it was more we were more just thinking about what what impact and i guess throwing this out there to the audience what what have people seen anything that's specifically started to impact them already you know we're only sort of three weeks into it but what we, we heard about there'll be big impacts but has anyone actually suffered from these impacts what sort of issues and you know is it just the 
the the tip of the iceberg that we're seeing now well i've certainly signed the petition um <laughs> for, for musicians uh because you know at the end of the day we, we haven't come up with a deal for for musicians in terms of uh you know sorting out visa entry into different bits of europe i mean yeah. ridiculous absolutely ridiculous we as a we as a nation are um known as one of the leading countries of the world in terms of innovation in music mm. we have you know some of the biggest music stars on the planet inhabited here uh and we've always been a you know we've always been a leading light in terms of music and we've got we've got musicians here that want to tour the world and people around the world that want to hear them and that you know that's a that's an export for us um so what's the specific impact on then graham what are, what are they going to have to do now that they didn't have to do 31st uh, of december and before far is, it, is too, it far too much paperwork and far, pay far too much money in order to to be able to go and play in certain parts of europe which so is, will they have to do that by country or the eu as a whole or what's by, what's by the, each country i believe right okay um so you know it just it just means a, a massive headache for anybody wanting to to tour outside of the uk in in and around europe which is just madness absolute and, madness and i guess also the the impact will be on on sort of you know sort of sharing and um sort of promoting our export is is that the they may just look though the musicians may just go well actually do you know what we'll look at the the, the, the bigger markets we look at france and we look at germany and we look at italy where we know we're going to get big audiences etc but i wonder if it then will sort of uh, will they then go actually those smaller venues in some of those smaller countries we we then well no we won't take the story and the show to them so i wonder if it then sort of impacts those that they just concentrate on a smaller number of countries without sharing it to the um the the wider world as it were yeah absolutely i surely it's got to have some impact on the uh the ergonomic world in terms of uh brexit has it not or do you feel that it's well taken care of well i mean from ourselves it's something that we were was as, as, as backer we were very conscious was was going to be happening and and have sort of put provisions in place but it certainly has increased a lot of the paperwork we're having to do um you know there's a lot more requirements we're having to meet and as i say we we put plans in place and from our perspective there's um you know i can't say there's no issue because we're having to do things we didn't have to do before you know we we've got the plan in place and it's happening but i'm sure there will be issues because a lot of the product that 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 sort of um exists in our marketplace very you know very little of it is produced in these shores whether it's the full product or or components are certainly brought in um from outside of um outside of the uk and certainly through the eu so i think there will be impacts as there are on on lots and lots of sectors be it clothes be it food i think everyone's going to be impacted by this grain to be honest i don't think it's it's specific to one uh one particular category no I, I wonder just how much we can actually tell at the moment mm. what the impact is because d do we do we look at things and go well that isn't on the shelf at the moment but that could be just as much to do with covid and yeah. the pandemic and 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 you know restrictions that are happening across the world as it could be to do with brexit mm. i mean look at you know travel 
<laughs> which fundamentally has got to be affected in some shape or form. Um, you know, and and the strength of the strength of the pound against the euro, and 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 you know what we're how difficult it will be for us to do various things in different countries. A, a lot of that we might not know at the moment because um, a lot of us might not even have an up-to-date yeah. passport at the moment because it's not yeah. even worth having one. But once that happens and things start lifting again and, and we start queuing at airports and we start finding it more difficult to do things that without waiting in a queue or without it taking a little bit more paperwork to do when things are moving more freely then that's probably when we're going to notice whether there's the impact there or not you know at the moment. It's, it's, we, you've got two issues at the same time haven't you both overlapping each other you've got the covid and the, and the brexit situation overlapping what if you sort of peel away the covid piece i wonder what the impact will be on you know, I wonder how many people will be put off from taking a foreign holiday. I wonder if this has sort of, um, I mean, they're already predicting a, another boom sort of um, staycation in the UK this year, aren't they? As there was quite a, a boom last year as well. But I wonder, um, I wonder how many people long term will be put off from traveling outside of the UK. I wonder how many more people will, will take up UK holidays because just one or two percentages will have a really big impact on those people in you know holiday in the UK. It doesn't need to be five, ten or fifteen percent. Just one or two, three percent of of people will have a massive impact and I guess a positive impact on on the UK economy, won't it? Well surely there's got to be a a, a massive impact uh, of both of these things on mm. uh, the Brexit and COVID on on the infrastructure. I mean we've already seen locally uh we've already seen a a, a, a an air company go bust. Um, mm. So we no longer have Flybe, unfortunately, at Exeter Airport. Um, I don't even know what, what is flying out of Exeter Airport anymore uh, at the moment. But, you know, how many how many of those transportation companies, especially air companies, can keep going, mm. A, through this pandemic, and B, if you then get the, the added uh, problems of, extra paperwork and of course when within any business as you add paperwork you add cost yeah because someone's got to administer that that additional paperwork i just don't know how many other companies are going to go to the wall or you know services that are involved in that infrastructure are going to mm. disappear and you know some of those may have been keeping it more competitive and that that then may drive up the cost yeah um and therefore you might find that going on holiday is you know, five, 10, 15% more expensive. And if, again, you know, we've reached the highest unemployment rates that we've had for forever um, in this country, you know, there's generally less money in everybody's pocket at the moment. Are people going to be able to afford foreign holidays? Mm. Probably not. So no. I, I think there could be a massive impact on, um, on travel and, and anything to do with that. Um and and maybe that's a good thing for England, maybe. But but you know, there's a lot of people that rely on that. It, it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's difficult because you look at it and you go, well, if you get more people holiday in the UK, they're obviously the money staying inside the UK. You've got the benefit from the employment for those resort for those resorts and the restaurants and the pubs and da da da. da. But then you flip it on its side and it will actually. But hang on how many people then who work in the travel industry, the airline industry, whilst you might create jobs in one place, 
you take from another, don't you? So I wonder, I wonder what the overall balance will be. Does it does it have a positive impact? I mean, again, you won't know this, but does it have a positive impact on employment by people holidaying in the UK more than abroad? You know, is it keeping more of the money within the UK, generating more tax back to the government that to help to bring down the national debt that we obviously will have from all of this? Is it beneficial from that, or is it beneficial from people from from other sectors being supported like airlines and airports and and, and all that sort of industry. We just don't know, do we? Well, once again, I mean, if you put this conversation together with the conversation we had towards the beginning, is that actually what we're seeing here, uh, uh, yet again, is massive cultural changes within society. And I, I think it's just going to be really interesting to see how these things pan out mm. as we go through the next couple of years. Because this, the impact of uh, of this pandemic is is going to be with us long after uh, we've all got a jab in our arm and we all feel comfortable again, uh, actually making our way into public spaces. Mm. But, you know, how is it going to all change? You know, if again, you know, are we going to have less airports in this country? Are we going to have less supporting industry around it? You know, maybe... Again, with the work side of things as well, we've got to remember that not only do people travel out of the country from from a holiday point of view, but they also have travelled quite a lot in the past uh, to different countries for work. Now, how much less of that's going to happen in the Mm. future? Because we've all got much better Wi-Fi now. We've got, you know, we're at the beginning of the sort of 5G revolution in terms of uh, that being spread out within England. You know, in a few years' time, we might have 5G everywhere. Um, so do, do we need to have those meetings everywhere, etc.? And, you know, that is going to have such a massive cultural impact on, uh, you know, all of these what were supporting industries. Yeah. Culturally for all of those different things, you know, less office space, you know, less people doing that. There will be new industries that come out of it. Yeah. Um, that that support how society is going forward in a different way, and there will be industries that shut. I, I I just think this we have probably never seen such a uh, a change in terms of um, working culture than probably since the the beginning of the industrial revolution. This is this is it all over again. I remember one of your videos earlier in the week, Graham. Did it was was it Mondays or Tuesdays? I can't remember where you you were talking about the price of petrol um, and how it had gone up. I think it was Mondays, wasn't it? But you know that that's one industry that you know it, you just don't see demand for fuel. I mean, obviously, we you know we spoke about you know people potentially holiday more in the UK, but general day to day consumption of fuel has dropped to probably record low levels since you know i guess the 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 widening up of of cars to to everyone but you just there are journeys that you just don't see ever coming back are there they just they just won't they just won't happen and that's an industry that you know i guess from an environmental perspective it's good that we're consuming less but how many people how many jobs are are going to be impacted from a long-term decline in in petrol consumption as you and, and you know or fuel consumption as you say there will be other areas that will grow but how many directly because of people buying less fuel? Are, are how many people's jobs are going to be directly impacted from that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I, I see the number of cars going down. I, and 
bringing it back to ergonomics, which which I can do here. Go on then. Let's <laughs> see. Bringing it back to ergonomics. Um, it will. We'll probably see a shift in terms of where people that have uh, ergonomics as a as a qualification and and ergonomic design of product where they are involved in society as well because um you know if if we're if we're traveling less or if we're going into uh, into certain spaces less and we're then looking at spending more time in other spaces the shift of where uh people with that that sort of qualification and background and designers and and uh, of, of products etc as well will shift their attention in terms of where they're looking at yeah because suddenly it will be more you know and and i think we'll start to look at uh i think we'll st start to look at more design areas and, and comfort areas in in other places where we're then spending that time mm. you know if we're gonna if we're going to go on holiday more in the uk maybe you know some of these uh holiday caravan places that have been there for years <laughs> and the furniture's never changed suddenly yeah. You know, may then have the money to invest in what spaces they've got, and actually, then they might look at you know refurbishments and but think about the comfort element more in those yeah. spaces. Yeah, um, and maybe you know uh, when we go camping, you know, do we do we want to just go in a you know a, a normal tent, or do we want something that's a little bit more? Um, you know, the weather in England's not particularly great, so. We've got to cater for all sorts of uh, eventualities. Yeah. Clothing, you know, uh, with, with regards to that as well, what we wear uh, to, to make us more comfortable, regardless of the weather, but make it lightweight so we can travel more with it. It will have a, a massive impact on anyone, I think, that's involved in sort of design of, uh, of products uh, and, and sort of the, the, the ergonomic design. But the one area that I really want to watch is sort of house design i think yeah. that's that is definitely the area that i really want to watch over the next couple of years because i, I i've said it before i think it's going to be completely amiss of anybody putting up house designs now yeah. not to be thinking about separation of space and and do we still have the traditional separations of space in a house that we yeah. used to have or do we have to rethink it? Mm. You know, one of my favourite shows on TV is uh, Kirsty and Phil's Love It or List It. I don't know whether you ever watched that, where Phil has to try and find them a new house. Okay. Um, because the house that they've got at the moment just isn't working for them in terms okay. of design. And Kirsty has to redesign the house to make right. it work for them. And you watch that and you realise how important the layout of a house is in terms of making it work for a family mm. with whatever needs that they've got um and certainly from an ergonomics point of view i can see more ergonomists getting involved in sort of house design as well and going right you know is that traditional sort of you know hallway lounge kitchen yeah. you know, or does that actually work for, for the new family as we now are going to to be working or do actually we need to redesign these spaces so that actually we incorporate 
more spaces for people to escape into you you don't end up working in a loft but you end up working in a in a, yeah. in, a in a place with with maybe a bit of open garden around you or whatever for for the benefit of your health and well-being mentally so that you've got some biophilia around you and things mm. like that i think that's going to be a massive change going forward i mean the one thing i was going to say graham i know we're just about to wrap up but the the the, the diff the real impact for people working from home and maybe working at a dining room table as we've touched on i always think it's all very well until you hit the kids holidays and that's where the real that's where people will really look at it is where you know when the house is generally quiet for most of the day when people aren't being homeschooled but the real impact is how do i home how do i work from home with one two three four five children at home that's and that's where the design piece comes in is to how do we make it though that people's working at home routine can flex depending on who's in the house what rooms available so yeah you're absolutely right it definitely is something that will will be being looked at what they come up with who knows but um well you know. the dining room table i'll leave it at this the dining room table could go the way of the boardroom table yeah. remember you know going back in time every office had to have a boardroom table mm. and it was it was the way uh that that people would meet but that then had to change to become more flexible with you know folding tables or things that you could get out of the way so you could actually create different spaces maybe the dining room table will go the same way you know mm. you may still need to have an area where you can commune around it but maybe it will be far more flexible and actually you can open up that space or even divide that space up for when there's uh, homeschooling, et cetera, needs to be going on or homeworking. A LinkedIn user, we don't even know who it is, but a LinkedIn user says, I think you're quite right about house building. Office space separate from living space needs to be considered with lots of natural light. Mm -hmm. And we will leave it at that uh, this week, but uh, I'll be joining uh, Stephen again next week to, to cover these wonderful issues if if you have things that you want us to discuss on these uh these podcasts these shows do dm me uh, on any of the platforms uh with those things and we will make sure that we include them and bring them up in future shows but thanks again Stephen, for joining me today yeah, that's great i enjoyed it and, and uh, we'll see, see you, you next, next week no okay. problem and Cheers. If, you're, if you're listening on on uh, spotify thank you very much for taking the time to do that okay bye Cheers. Today's episode is sponsored by Backer Elkhuizen.